So you know we're in this uh, message series about uh, you know, our identity in Christ. And today, the I am statement is, I am crucified with Christ. And uh, so songs talk about that, that idea of dying to self and, and being crucified with Christ. And, um, you know, there's few things in life that have that element of personal. Um, you, know, we, you know, we have a job, but so do lots of people. And we have a family, and so do lots of people. And, you know, we go to church, and so do a lot of people. Uh, not as many on Fourth of July, but, you know, lots of people anyway. <laughs> but I have a relationship with Christ that's uniquely mine. No one else has the same relationship with Christ that I have. Now, you have your own relationship, but it's unique. It's yours. Um, and our verse today is um, Galatians 2.20. And it reads, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer, it is, been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life of which I now live in flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. So there's three main points that I want to get out of today's verse. Um, the first being that the Christian faith is a personal one. Now, if you, as we went through the uh, verses there, you'll notice that there's a lot of personal pronouns, right? There's four I's and three me's, and there's no plural pronouns at all. There's no us's, they, them, none of that. Um, there's no third parties. And so Paul is reflecting on himself, um, the reflection of his inner life, his spiritual death, the love that Christ has toward him, and the sacrifice that Christ made for him. And Paul understands that if he was the only human being on earth, Christ would have died for him. Right? That's that personal relationship. And so that's the key. Christianity brings out our individuality. And it doesn't do such in a boastful way or a, or a way that is um, selfish. Quite the contrary. To become a Christian, you have to focus on yourself and your flaws and where you fall short and why you need Jesus. And just as a telescope allows us to reach out into a galaxy and focus on an individual star, so Christianity allows us to focus on a single person, ourselves, and Jesus Christ. Now, we live in community, lots of collections of people, right? We think of work, you know, we have a bunch of people that we see at work. It's a collection of people that all have things in common. Right? We fall under the government of the United States, the government of the state of Arizona. Um, you know, maybe you retire, you belong to a club. They're all groups of people. Right? But the gospel brings out men and women into separate cells. Now isolated, we have to focus on ourselves. Our personal sins, our personal salvation, and realize that without the grace of God, we would be condemned to our own personal condemnation. Now, the masses travel down the road, a broad road, indistinguishable from one another, just traveling down this long-lost road. But Christians stand apart. 
Matthew 7, 13 and 14 reads, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is narrow and the way is constricted that leads to life, and there are few that find it. There are, the road that leads to destruction is a wide road and it's easy to walk down. Lots of folks are walking down that same road and they just sort of get lost in the swarm. But not so the road to eternal life. It's a very narrow road and it has challenges. Every traveler on that road is unique. We have our own unique struggles that we have to walk through. We have our own unique relationship. Often like a fleet of ships sailing, but we're all one sh- our own ship, right? And we're traveling against the flow. We're traveling contrary to that broad road that leads to destruction. If there's ever a time in the world, it seems that the Christian life is contrary to social culture today, it's, it's today. I mean, it's amazing where our culture has gone away from biblical values and the beliefs of Christianity. Uh, I read in an article earlier this week that a judge, in judging against a business um, for an issue with um, bathrooms, um, wrote in there that the biblical perspective of binary gender is unhealthy to society. I'm like, wow. That's a judge making that statement in a ruling. We see the world's depravity and the world's ruin around us because we're converted. And so we can see the difference. And you have to be on the other side to see. Otherwise, it all seems fine and normal. You know, if you travel with the masses, you act like they do and it don't notice the ruin. Now, many years ago, uh, when I was in the Air Force, I got a DUI. And as part of the punishment, if you will, for DUIs, you can't drink for 30 days. Then they test you to make sure you're not breaking rules or anything, right? So I remember I was at a bar with my girlfriend, and I said, man, look at all these drunk people. They're acting so stupid. And she looked at me with disbelief and said, last week that was you. (laughs) And I was like, right? I didn't notice. When I was there with everybody else, I acted stupid too. You know, so it's... It was really, you know, an eye-opener for me. Um, And we have to recognize that. We recognize that we see the fallen state of the world around us because we have Jesus Christ. You know, the people that don't have Jesus Christ, don't know the truth of Scripture, don't have the Holy Spirit guiding them, they're not going to see it. We're uniquely equipped because of our relationship with Jesus to see what's going on in the world around us. Isaiah recognized his own sinfulness during his vision, chapter 6 of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5 says, Then I said, Woe to me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips. I live among people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. So it was only after Isaiah recognized his own sinfulness that he recognized sinfulness around him and he confessed for his sin. It's only he saw the face of God and understood his sinfulness. We know nothing about salvation if we've not personally looked upon the eyes of Jesus, confessed for our sins, and received our personal salvation from Jesus Christ. He died for me because he loves me. 
And I have a special peace in my life because of that. We live in a world of conflict, constant conflict, fighting against parties and stuff, but I have peace. And I have rest. Though there's earthly storms that throw my ship about, I have rest. I have rest because what Jesus Christ did for me. And I can't give that rest and peace to anyone else. I can tell people about it. I can describe what it does for me. But I can't give it to anyone. You can't follow the Lord by proxy. A believer can't serve for someone else. You have to serve individually. I can't lean upon the good works of the rest of the church and claim it as mine. And I can't be lukewarm around the beliefs because others are lukewarm around me. Right? We stand as individuals. Later in the same chapter, Isaiah recognized this singular call. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, it says, Then I heard the, voices of the, the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And all the teaching of the Christian faith points to the singular nature. It's a personal calling, a personal perseverance, a personal salvation. Which leads to personal holiness. And there's no teaching in Scripture that teaches that a person's sins can be carried by any other person than Jesus. We don't get crucified with anyone else. It's a singular relationship between us and Jesus. We can bear each other's burdens in sympathy, but not in substitution. You can't have my back. I'd be happy to give it to you if you wanted it, but I can't give it to you. It doesn't work that way, right? So we carry each other's struggles in prayer, but we can't take them from you. They're your struggles. And every person must give their own account to God. God prunes his vine individually. John 15, verses 1 and 2 says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, so that it may bear more fruit. So in the end, he gives it, we must give an account of our actions by ourselves before the Lord. It is you and you alone. I remember I had a conversation with a person, oh, this was probably a couple of years ago, and he was trying to explain why he had done the things that he did. And I said, do you understand, when you stand before God, there will be no other to point to. You'll be standing before the Lord alone to give account of your behavior. And blaming someone else won't work. It's just you and him. Your mother, your father, no one else can stand in your place. Therefore, judge for yourself, seek for yourself eternal life, lift your eyes to the cross for yourself, let it be your own earnest endeavor to live like Christ. And be able to say, he died for me because he loves me. And I know this. And in the resurrection, you shall receive your own new body, your own uniquely yours new body. It's always a great mystery what that's going to look like. <laughs> like sometimes I think, well, I like the one I had like when I was 22. That was really a good body. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I don't know which one I'm going to get. So anyway, 
As a believer, though, we will be raised, and we will see the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings um, unique. And the joys of heaven aren't given to someone else. They're given to you because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. No person can eat for another, drink for another, dress for another, or sleep for another. So don't get caught up in the temporal world with all of its useless stuff, but aspire to have a personal interest in Christ, to give your life to him, to serve him, to render yourself to him um, individually, because Christian faith is a personal one. Secondly, our own personality is interwoven with that of Christ. So let's look back at that verse again. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. So we have a person, and we have Christ. And they're two separate entities, yet interwoven. If we were to look upwards, we would see two trees standing side by side. But as our eyes travel down the trunk, it would become one, interwoven. That's our relationship with Christ. Our lives are interwoven. Yes, we stand as two separate entities, but we're interwoven with Christ. And we see the same thing in the, in the analogy of the grapevine, right? There's every branch, and every branch produces its own fruit. Every branch is pruned by the master in its own way, and yet it's perfectly tied into the vine. It's perfectly intermingled with the vine. Um, right? Paul points out in spectacular fashion, I am crucified with Christ. Paul recognized that he believes in his representation on the cross by Christ. When Christ hung on the cross, he was not an isolated person. He was a representative for all of his chosen people. Just as a politician doesn't represent himself, but represents the group that elected him, so Jesus Christ died on the cross for all of his people. And the debt of all the saints, of all of us believers, are paid in full by the atonement that was made on the cross. Paul did more than believe this is doctrine. He rested his hope on it. He, everything he did, it was because he believed that he had been crucified with Christ and that his sins had been forgiven. What a blessing it is for us to recognize that our soul was stretched upon the cross of Christ and that the law was paid, divine justice was satisfied, and we now had reconciliation with God, relationship with the Creator. Now, a surety bond is a legal agreement by one person to accept the consequences of failure of action in another. And the law killed me, cursed me, slain me, and freed from me because of the surety bond that Jesus Christ paid for us. He did what we could not do and did so willingly because he loved us. Recall the story of Isaiah and the Shumanite boy. The boy was dead, but Isaiah laid upon the boy and brought him to life. This is in 2 Kings 4, verses 32 to 34. When Elisha entered the house, behold, the boy was dead. 
laid on his bed. So he entered and shut the door behind them both, and he prayed to the Lord. Then he got up on the bed, laid on the child, put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands, and he bent down on him, and the flesh of the child became warm. So we were dead under the law on the cross of Christ. He laid upon us, and the life, power, and warmth of Jesus brought us to a new life. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, a new creation in Jesus Christ. Our old self died, our new self from Jesus on the cross. Again, our natural fallen state has been laid to rest, and we're now resurrected with Christ. The old me doesn't live, but the new but Christ lives in the new me. Now, Paul knew that the new life in Jesus Christ and his old nature is crucified, literally nailed to the cross. Um, that it no longer had any power in his life. And we may have one time viewed ourselves as criminals, ones who had openly disobeyed the law. I certainly know in my many years before I came to know Jesus, I had many, many transgressions that were offensive to the holiness of God. Um, But that person has been executed with Christ, and I no longer stand under the guilt and shame of those past events. I'm free of those. And that really means a lot today because there's a lot of weight that a lot of us have brought in from stuff that happened in the past. And we live in a society that loves guilt and shame. Um... And that's not Jesus. As a body, we are there to to forgive and to help people move on. Now, ideally, we no longer yearn to enjoy the pleasures of sin because we're dead to them. And we've been crucified with Christ. But I'll be perfectly honest. There are still sins that I struggle with. There are still personal desires that I feel in the flesh that I wish I didn't, but I do. It would be great if coming to know Jesus Christ, we just wiped that all away and it didn't exist, but it does. And so we find ourselves personally crucifying ourselves every day to live the life that Jesus wants us to live. And we felt we mess up, you know, and we have to take that and nail it to the cross. Uh, and it's a continuous battle but every battle that we get closer and closer to being Christ-like. Paul knew the struggle. We read in Romans 7, verses 15 through 20, For I do not understand what I am doing, for I am not practicing what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. However, if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law and that the law is good. But now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that good does not dwell in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. For the good I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I do the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but the sin that dwells in me. And here's Paul. I mean, Paul is apostle to the Gentiles, right? He's 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 goes through so much, and yet he knows there are just still sins of the flesh that he struggles with. You know, and we have a Christ that knows that as well. 
And like I said, we just have to go day to day and nail those sins to the cross. Um, Again, if we're not struggling with our sin, then we have to wonder how well we know Jesus. Right? Because he's going to let us know. There's, I told you before, I always kind of visioned the Christian walk much like Michelangelo when he carved David. You know, he started with this giant chunk of granite. You know, when you first come to the Lord, you know, it's like he's taking the hammer, just knocking off big chunks of rock. Because there's some big stuff that had to go. And as he continues to work, he finally refines in this figure of David becomes more and more out of this block of rock. But then he has to start working on details. And sometimes in our lives, God will say, okay, this is the detail I want to work on. You're like, ah, it's okay. I'm kind of comfortable with that detail. Let's, uh, let's, let's leave that one alone. And he's like, no, I'm afraid we're going to have to work on that. You know, and so we, we, we struggle. You know, I, I've been fighting to get rid of 30 pounds for who knows how long. I mean, I'll go, very frustrating. You know, when I was young, it wasn't even a thought. You know, I was... I, it's funny, I see young people, you know, that, you know, they don't even know what fighting for weight is, you know, and us older people know exactly what it's like, you know, it's, um, like I said, it's not that I overeat, it's I under-exercise, right, so the, uh, but we know we have these struggles that we have in our lives that, that we just have to work through, um, but in time, we can overcome those. And there are struggles I have that are gone. I don't have to deal with anymore. There are struggles that I used to have that were really, I'm not going to get into it, obviously, but there were stuff that just were big struggles in my life that I don't have to deal with anymore. But I still have a lot of other ones I do have to work on. You know, and I, I know you all struggles as well, and struggles that you had in the past and struggles you have now, it's none of my business to know what they are. But the point of it is, is that you need to continually work through those struggles and continue to nail them to the cross to get through them. And remember, there is no sin that God will not forgive you of. You know, and I, that's, I can remember when I was young, I said, I cannot believe that he loves me. And he does. Regardless of what you did, he loves you. And he forgives you. And we have to be very wary. We live in a self-indulgent culture. And it's very easy to fall into temptations. The other night, Don and I were trying to find a movie on Netflix. And we went through like four movies, and we never got more than about five minutes into it. It was just like terrible. I mean, there was, I don't know what you call it, like soft porn, where you know, can tell what they're doing, and they don't show up, but you can tell what they're doing, or they're swearing, or they're, it's just terrible. There's just nothing to watch. So we ended up watching nature shows, you know, the 72 Dangerous Animals or something. It was, it was, and, and you know, that's the world we live in. It's, they're, they're constantly trying to drag us into the muck. And they do it by, you know, culture is just twisting everything that's biblical truth. And so we have to realize that there are so many vices that seduce the world and that can trip us up. And we have to continually go to Christ and say, you know, remove these temptations. Help me see them. You know, I remember Sean used to have a, saying on the, in, the, in the youth room about, you know, children, young people, not children, young people getting involved sexually, it's a slope. If you start a little bit, you can end up a lot. So if you never start, it's the only chance you have. You know, because once you start down that slope, it's a slope. You're going to slide. And that's the world we live in today. It's losing little battles that become big ones. And I say that 
you know, we have to realize that we live in a world that doesn't know Jesus Christ, doesn't know the Bible, doesn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, so we can't expect them to know what's right. We know what's right because we have those things. And I can tell you that beating a person over the head with the Bible is not going to win a lot of converts. But we have to have compassion and love and truth. And in the world today, we seem to have too much of one or the other. We forgive everything and we don't hold to any standard of truth or we try to hold to truth and not be compassionate. There's people that struggle with real sin and we know what that is. And we have to be compassionate to that, but we have to recognize it is what it is. The Bible is truth. And you've heard me before talk about the idea of truth versus truthful, right? Truth is something that you can compare to. Truthful is the comparing of. So when you ask, is this behavior truthful, you go to Scripture and it says, no, this behavior is wrong. That's the truth. You're challenged by it, you're... He can help you overcome it. But you have to know him. All right. Anyway, so point one, we know the Christian faith is a personal one. Point two, we know that our personality is interwoven with Christ because we are crucified with him. So point number three, what is the life we live with this blended personality? So we find and personally know Jesus Christ, we are a new creation. Our old selves were crucified uh, and now we live in a new one. And our carnal minds that lived in enmity with God is doomed to die, and we need to kill it daily. Um, how much we wish we could kill it completely. Um, you know, we had, I'm crucified and yet I live. Right? That sounds like a contradiction, right? But that's the Christian life. It's a, sort of a riddle with no equal. It's beyond explanation by even the brightest minds that do not know Jesus. Um, Yet for those they do possess the Holy Spirit, they know that that is true. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 91 said, For the word of of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the understanding of those who have understanding. I will confound. Where is the wise person? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Again, many people in the world see us as fools. They just don't get it. They don't understand that what we trust in, what it means to have faith, what it means to hold to a moral standard of Scripture, and yet, it may be foolish to the world, but it's freedom for us. It's a new life for us. A wonderful new life that I had never lived before. Before I came to know Jesus, I didn't know that that relationship existed. So Paul declares himself to be dead to the world, and we know that it wasn't a physical death, right? It was a spiritual death, uh, but he's now living with this new force and vigor in his life. I just can't imagine Saul going to Paul and that transition that he had in his life and, and the, the, the impetus that gave him to go through such a startling transformation in his life um, as he was called. 
So much like a caterpillar has to enter a cocoon to die so it can be born again into a beautiful butterfly, so too we have to die, be crucified with Christ, so we can live the new life. And the new life that Christ brings is about self-denial. Unlike the self-indulgent world that lives around us and manifests in the world today, we live one in self-denial. Paul declares, it is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. So we live to, as Christ, we live to serve. So in all things we ask, what would Jesus do? Now, I don't mean a little band that people wore all the time. That was kind of a neat fad. But the, the point of it is, is that so many things today, before you make a decision, ask, what would Jesus do? You know, I tend to, you're probably going to find this hard to believe, but I like to argue. And, <laughs> the, uh, but there's times that that's not the answer. There's times like, I have got the way to go to this one. And then you get that kind of voice that says, no, you probably should just mind yourself. Be, be compassionate. Just don't go there. <laughs> Take it, oh, what I want to go, you know. No, what would Jesus do? How would Jesus act in this situation? You know, and that's hard for us sometimes. Again, the new life is still the same flesh and blood. And we need to get the flesh obedient to the faith. And that's a process. Again, the faith is not something you wear on Sunday morning and put away till next week. Um, It has to be a persistent part of our everyday life, a working principle everywhere we go. When we go to work, when we go to the store, grace toward our families, even the ones we don't like. (laughs) I just love that. I love you, but I don't like you today. (laughs) I know we've all been there. I think everybody probably has somebody in your family who goes, eh, it's not my favorite. (laughs) So, but that's okay. And the only thing I see today is, is really in our pastimes and our entertainment, we really have to watch ourselves. I mean, it is so difficult to go do something that's healthy and wholesome, and um, it's just getting harder and harder. But the Christian life is to permeate all that we do, uh, and we're supposed to have a blended life of believer in Christ uh, is a life of perfect love, right? Because the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Christ loved us with a perfect love, and I can have the life of holy joy, because Christ is mine and I am his. No one can take that away. Everything else in life can go away, but that can't go away. No one can take it. Romans 8, verses 37 and 39, But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When you're going through difficult times, that's a great verse to read. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. We live with Christ personally. He's interwoven in our life. And we need to just embrace that life. So brothers and sisters, your past has been put away, you're crucified with Christ, and now you live with him in this temporal world. 
and in the fullness of time you will live with him eternally. Amen.